how do you decide your sound palettes? Sometimes I might have more of like chords and melody idea and I'll write that down really fast with like a regular synth or a piano sound. It's much more important to get the right emotion and atmosphere, so. What are the different stages of developing a game like that? If you don't try things that you've never tried, then you're gonna kind of just be circulating around the same ideas your whole life, which is not in your best interest if you're kind of trying to create stuff your whole life, I think. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode eight of Artist Corner. Today, I am interviewing an incredibly talented musician, game developer, and programmer who is part of the two-team studio, An Anodrestic Productions. Yes. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone watching. I'm Melos Hantani, and I'm uh, Tokyo-based and one half of the studio Analgesic Productions, which we've done the Anodyne series, even the Ocean, Stephanie, and are working on uh, Angeline Era right now. Yeah, I've actually, I've been seeing quite a bit of Angeline Era, and it looks really good. Thank you. I think it looks pretty different to your other works, actually, and... And is this your first time doing a 3D platformer that's in that style? Yeah, it's the first time doing a 3D, uh, like a top-down 3D game. And it's our first time doing an action game. I mean, you know, Anodyne, all of our games kind of have like action-esque elements, but it's the first time we're really focusing on, you know, combat as a very large part of it, rather than just kind of like, you know, something you do as you go from area to area in like Anodyne or something. How does the music differ from previous games? Yeah, and Angelina Era has been a pretty, you know, not challenging, but like, I guess, fun soundtrack to work on. Like, because in the game, there's like, kind of like three races, sort of. There's like humans, angels, and like the fae. And they all kind of represent different things. So I've been thinking about, I'm not really sticking like so closely to this for everything, but different ways of like getting at those characters through different kind of sound palettes and instrument choices. Like, you know, the stuff relating to the fae is maybe a bit more focused on kind of like more like dance and club music influences, uh, like darker textures. And then humans is a lot more kind of like my normal style, but mixed in a lot with like a lot of guitars and like kind of distortion stuff. And then the angels uh, also kind of takes kind of like a club music influence, but focused on more of those like cleaner uh, kind of like shiny textures. Um, but but yeah, it's been the first time I've been able to kind of like do a lot of like dance influence stuff, which has been a lot of fun because usually, you know, that doesn't fit the vibe too well of our games. So yeah. that's really interesting you say that. I kind of feel like Anodyne 2 in some ways had electronic dance music inspired songs in it. There was the that one battle or it's it's the battle sequence when you go inside to clean the nano dust. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this, I don't know, it's really upbeat and it's a, it's got some maybe 808 kicks and stuff in them. It's just, yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely, um, there's a few kind of like, yeah, dance influence tracks on Anodyne too. Like that one, especially a little bit of the final boss. Um, uh, and then like one of the level themes, I mean, a couple of the level themes, but I would say that and to an extent, like I still have to hold back a bit with those just from like, um, you know, cause you're not like doing super fast, like action stuff. So they're that, a little bit of a slower tempo, except for the final boss, you know, but that song is only there for like two minutes. Do you mind if I ask what your favorite games were growing up? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I played a lot of like Maple Story on the PC. Have you played Maple Story? I I haven't played it, but I think I've seen it. It's there's this robot. It's like a square robot, right? Or is yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a square robot. Yeah. I don't so know Maple much Story... about it. <laughs> It's like a, it's an MMORPG, but it's a side-scrolling platformer. So it's like an, it's like an action platformer RPG. So, you know, we don't really see those kinds of games anymore. But you could explore a lot. Um, but the game didn't have so much to do to overwhelm you. So most of the time you're just kind of like chilling out. Um, it's not really like modern MMOs that kind of like give you all your dailies and stuff. Uh... And then I really like Quest 64. I still like that game. Um, the the score of that it was written by a classical composer, so he got roped into games to like do this game OST. And I don't I don't think he did any other game composing after that. But uh, what he made was pretty good. Um, that game has a really nice like world design, uh, kind of like nice 3D spaces. And, yeah, just like a creative use of the orchestral palette, which I don't, like, I really like classical music, but I'm a little bit picky. So I don't really like the more kind of like modern, uh, like Hollywood movie influenced uses of it. Yeah. I don't know. And there's a lot of other ones, like a lot of Flash games on Newgrounds I played growing up. Um those were definitely inspiring in some way. I don't really know if they're as inspiring that directly on the games we make nowadays, but you know, they were just an example of people making stuff, you know, on their own time for fun and not worrying too much about like commercial viability or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of miss that actually. I feel like nowadays with all the AAA games, a lot of them they they focus too much on realism, you know, mm-hmm. that it kind of I don't I don't play a game because I want I want to. You know, they tried trying to formulate my thoughts. I think they try to focus on making it so much like real life. That it's not even a fun game to play. Yeah, it's. Like, I've been playing, like, I guess the environments just feel so big a lot of the times. Like, you're just walking and walking and walking. A lot of the game is walking. <laughs> I played, like, uh, I played the new Zelda for a few hours the past week. And I was just struck by, like, how much walking there is. I'm like, 
this kind of feels like real life. Yeah. But it's not like it's not real life. It's just walking. Yeah, and it's thought of it. You know, it's funny. There's even games where they 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 emulate taking a shower and all this stuff. Like in Death Stranding, you can literally take yeah, a shower, yeah. and it's yeah. I don't know why they do that. It kind of it kind of makes it seem like they're not chasing creativity. Instead, mm. they might be chasing money. Yeah, it's like mostly being impressive, right? Like the thing is, like when the when the studios get so big, the easiest thing to spend money on is just like like technical achievements and visual achievements because you can kind of just drop those into the game and it'll like it'll kind of work. But it's kind of impossible to like really do an interesting design thing at scale. Uh, you know, Death Stranding has some... They, these big AAA games, they usually have some interesting aspects to the game design. Um, but for the most part, they're pretty, like, by the book. Like, you know, Death Stranding has some interesting stuff with all the, like, slow walking. But at the same time, it's also just, like, a, you know, it's a shooter stealth game. Yeah. With a lot of, like, long cutscenes. It's funny. The, the reason why I was thinking of Death Stranding... It's because I was researching for this interview, and I listened to the Nitro Rad interview you did four years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you four guys talked years. about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that would have been right when I was playing it. <laughs> I did clear the game, but I set it to easy, because I was just like, I can't spend more time <laughs> on this. It's, it's too long. Me too. Yeah. I thought I felt so bad for playing on easy, but it's it's one of those games, you know? Yeah, it's just like... This isn't this isn't really worth it anymore. <laughs> that was kind of the opening questions. So now I think we're gonna jump straight into the the main ones. Okay. So so this category is mostly about influences and inspiration. So I'll get right into it. Cool. Who inspired you when you started making games? Who inspires you now? Getting started out, let's see, that had been like 2011, so I think right in 2011 that it would have been like a lot of the big like Flash game makers, so uh, like Cave Story, um, Maddie Thorson's work, like her platformers. Uh, I think, and also her collaborator, like Noel Berry's games, uh, Greg Lobanov, he did a lot of game, game maker games too. <clears throat> a lot of these like designers who did like Super Mario World ROM hacks or, uh, I'm forgetting their name, but there's like these JRPGs on Newgrounds called like Marduk RPG. Those were inspiring. Um... Adam Saltzman's work on the Flixel engine and stuff. That's what I used to start out, and those little games were inspiring because you could like go and look at the code, especially when you start out, like, and you don't really know how to figure stuff out on your own. That was super that was, useful. That was back yeah. before YouTube and stuff, really, right? Uh, no, there was YouTube. Um, it was, that was, YouTube had been around for a few years, but it was before like Twitch and before like YouTube tutorials 
became a big thing. So there was still a lot of like using message boards. Um, a lot of inspiration from like the game jams. Those were fun. You know, you can kind of like compete a little bit and like feel pushed to like excel. That was important. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the environment I got started in. Uh, there's another part to the question. Who inspires you now? Oh, now, yeah. Uh, nowadays, I would, I think it's roughly about the same, right? Like, well, it's a little different. Back then, I think I was like only taking inspiration from games. And nowadays, I would say the games that inspire me are still made by roughly the same kinds of people, you know? Usually one or two people making a game, either for fun in their free time or, you know, as like a career. Uh, that usually tends to be the most inspiring. Um, I do find, I actually, even though I don't really like Nintendo games that much now, I do find a lot of their work from the 90s and 2000s to be inspiring. Like, I like to read a lot of interviews from them. Um, I don't think he gets that much chance to design nowadays, but I think Miyamoto actually is. Uh, quite interesting. Not really, you know, because he designed Mario or something, but he does think about, if you read these like long interviews with him, he does think about things in a way that are like very focused on the core of the game and kind of what that can get at through its like possibilities. So, you know, he goes and designs something like Pikmin, which is a really interesting, like simplified take on like RTS games. And that was pretty inspiring to see. Mm. It's interesting uh, how you say yeah. you don't play many M Nintendo games, right? No, I do, but I don't like them as much. Ah. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, because you can still find inspiration from things you don't necessarily love. Yeah. So I guess that's why it's important to keep an open mind in this career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... It's definitely, well, I'll wrap around to this, but also in addition to like Nintendo, you know, there's a lot of just like, I feel as I get older, there's more of being inspired by just like real life stuff happening, you know, regular people talking to them, like walking around Tokyo or just reading a lot of stuff, just doing different things. Um, and that's actually something that, you know, like Miyamoto has talked about in a lot of interviews and a lot of game designers I like as well, um, not necessarily famous. They just get a lot of inspiration from regular things. And I think when you have a more like, yeah, like open mind and you're able to kind of have like an enriching life in a way that isn't just, you know, playing your favorite genre of action games. That's really what game designers and even like musicians need to like put out like truly good you know games and music i think because if you don't i mean you can still put out things that will appeal to people but it'll kind of have this uh kind of like inward looking feeling to it you know like uh if you think about you know, a really, like, tropey piece of media or something. It's not like it can't be enjoyable or fun, but it really does only kind of speak to one certain kind of, like, audience, right? Like, 
Hmm. Like there's this RPG series I really like called like Trails. Um, have you played any of them? No, I'm actually. I honestly haven't been playing too many games over the past year or two. Mm-hmm. It's mostly because I'm focusing on music and cool this, but yeah, you can explain it. Well, I guess the idea is that like Trails, it's a very like tropey RPG, and you kind of know what to get, you're gonna get when you play it. And so, like, I find it very enjoyable to play, but it's not really the most like inspirational thing i guess <laughs> no i mean it isn't in some ways but like yeah um so you know it's good to have a balance of what you look into cuz if you don't try things that you've never tried then you're going to kind of just be circulating around the same ideas your whole life which is not in your best interest if you're kind of trying to create stuff your whole life, I think. Yeah, that brings a really good point. It Another reason why, for me personally, I mean, I obviously do play games still. I've I've been playing Anodyne 2 recently. Oh, nice. And it's one of my favorite games I've actually ever played. It's, I think the story has really inspired me. And well, thank so, you. So has the, the atmosphere and the, the world building of the game. It all just feels so, I I think captivating is the word mm-hmm. I'd use. But I was going to say, going out and finding new types of media has really inspired me personally with my own creative pursuits. And for me, one of those things is interviewing and reading interviews from other people and also reading books. And I was wondering... What are some examples of things you've tried that changed your mindset in your creative process? Mm, you think about I think just like just like talking to a lot of people, especially talking to people who don't play games really like you know maybe they just play animal crossing or they like truly do not play games uh you know even if they don't play games obviously they're going to be into something i mean like even some people i've talked to they're like oh i don't have any hobbies and then you keep asking them they're like oh okay i like k-pop or something i'm like okay there you, you know you like everybody likes something um and it's interesting to just think about like why does somebody like K-pop? Why is somebody like, you know, why are they into these long six-hour hikes so much? Or, you know, what inspires them to try to be a novelist or a writer? Or why do they prefer to, like, raise a family and that kind of thing? Um, you know, and just being, like, interested in other people and interested in other stuff it's not like it'll necessarily become direct inspiration for anything, right? But it is. it just kind of keeps you, I think, seeking that kind of excitement from, you know, exploring media and stuff. And then naturally when you go to make something, you're like, okay, how can I make something that will kind of like convey my excitement, you know, for life or whatever in, a very, in various ways. 
yeah that that kind of relates to how i view art actually i think art in my opinion at least good art is when the artist can translate their feelings to someone Mm -hmm. and i mean regardless of the feeling whatever that is if they can translate it no matter how it's perceived i think that they succeeded with what they were doing yeah that's a good point it's like because there are like things that are hard to put into words right but you know if you can the reason people are making art is like you know to convey these things that we can't just like say um so straightforwardly especially especially like music too right it's like you know very complicated process that has a lot of very intuitive effects people listening which is interesting yeah and with music you can even it's so the thing that fascinates me about music you can translate feelings regardless of if there's any words mm-hmm. because i mean most i think all, all of your music does have any words neither does mine but there's still so many emotions that get conveyed yeah it just, you, it just shows yeah. how powerful it is yeah, you've been you say you've been working on music a lot the past year, right? Like how long Yeah. What's your like history of music cuz I had not have time to look in I like, have your website pulled up right now, but Yeah, so I started playing piano when I was 10. Okay. And then I played piano from then until I think around 17 was when I started really learning other instruments like guitar, mm-hmm. ukulele. And that's also around the time I got into producing. And so I've been producing for either two or three years now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry uh, for talking about myself a bit. No, no, but... no. It's okay. Okay. Oh, so you're pretty, uh, you're pretty, you're, so you're like 22, 21? No, I'm 19. 19. Or, okay. Oh, wow. S- sorry. The, the math might be a bit weird. <laughs> that's okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to like, learn new instruments. I thought about, I don't know if I'll take action on this, but I've been wanting to like buy a guitar again or like get a flute or something. I like that. Cause I use flute sounds so much, but I don't know how they work. <laughs> that or like a, a clarinet. I don't know. It seems. It's funny. You saying you use flute sounds makes me realize I'm pretty bad at understanding what instrument is playing in a song. I, I don't know why I have a hard time identifying what instruments I'm hearing. Because I think sometimes the music, it's so synth and sample-oriented, it's hard to differentiate. What's the word? Oh, yeah. When I say flute sounds, I don't don't literally mean, like, an actual flute, like, sample. I just, like, flute-ish sounds, you know? So a lot of those can't just be synths, but they're kind of, like, they're articulated as if they were, like, a wind instrument or something. Um... Yeah, I a lot of the I can't even tell what instrument I'm using a lot of the time. Most of the time it is like a synth or it's a flute that's been processed to you know, that's been processed to not sound like a fruit flute anymore. Yeah. Speaking of sounds that you use, how do you decide your sound palettes? Do you kind of just go by feeling or do you have any techniques? Uh I spend a lot of time on 
yeah, before I go building out this, well, there's like two ways. Sometimes I might have more of like chords and melody idea, and I'll write that down really fast with like a regular synth or piano sound. But other times, there's a much bigger focus. It's much more important to get the right kind of like emotion and atmosphere. So I'll spend more time on like sound design, instrument design, or, and this is what I've been doing in the past few years or past few games is just like, I will borrow from songs that I've already made for the game and kind of use those as the starting point, um, which helps the soundtrack feel a little bit more unified, but it also just saves time, you know, because if I already know, okay, there's a pretty good, you know, like string sound I made for this song, I can just copy it and use it and, you know, I'll tweak it a little bit to fit the song, but at least I won't have to start from scratch every time. Um, but yeah, like, for that, you know, it's super helpful to just listen to a lot of, like, s strange music, I guess, or, like, like, this is why, like, I really love, like, dancing club music, because you have, like, every emotion in there across all these different subgenres, you know, like, like, super creepy and dark, or, like, super ecstatic and, like, bright. Um, and then you also have like ambient music, which can do the same thing without the beats and, you know, drawing on that as inspiration when trying to make design a sound, it's a really fast way to kind of just get better at, um, you know, figuring out how to do sound design for synth. I feel like that's the most important thing for like the game music I'm doing is just being able to be so comfortable with, uh, you know, adjusting synthesizers or samplers in different ways to kind of like get whatever texture I want. Um, yeah. And from what I've heard in other interviews that you've done, you like to use reference tracks. Yes. How do you how do you use this? So I feel like I actually yeah. There's a few ways. I think So there's one way which is kind of like transcribing and that's more of like if you this is pretty rare but if I like really like a song and I can't quite figure out what's going on I might like try to transcribe it to like notes or the percussion and that'll give me a much clearer view of like oh this is how this was achieved or whatever. Um, so that's pretty rare. The second way which is I don't do this that much nowadays but it would be to kind of like that's not true. I do do it still, but it's not in a huge way. It's more like if I really like one element of a song, and I've written a bit about this in blog posts, I think, then I might kind of like use that one element as a starting point. So like like yesterday, I was listening to some music, and I really liked the rhythm of this one synth, but not really the other parts of the song. So I kind of like, I thought I realized, oh, you know, maybe I could use that in a certain context in Angeline Era's OST. So I, you know, I you know, designed a synth myself, and I used that rhythm as a starting point. And that was, like, a really nice, like, way to... That's kind of how I would use a reference track sometimes. Um, a third way might be for, like, for mixing or mastering. I'm mastering uh, my very, like, simple mastering. Do you, ma might... do you master to a certain LUF? Uh, I'm not that... 
rigorous about it. Basically, nowadays I will like I'll I'll mix like usually at the end or a little bit as I'm going along, and then like you know do the really tedious stuff at the end, and then I'll try to make it kind of loud, but not like radio loud because mm -hmm. it's going to play in a game. Was the few reasons. The first is that it's going to be playing in a game, so the sound effects have to come above it anyways, so it doesn't need to be that loud. Uh, the second reason is that um, I just don't have the technical skills to do an amazing master. So I just kind of try to get it to like a decent stage. Um, and I've gotten a little bit better at it over the years, but like ultimately I'm not that interested in, in mastering, so I don't worry about it too much. I was curious. Um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. So that's, those are probably the most common ways of using like reference tracks. Um, sometimes I'll borrow like a chord progression from a song if I really like it. <clears throat> like the some of the songs in Anlang Two definitely borrowed some chords from composers I really like. Yeah, I, I I was actually the other day I was learning some of the songs on my piano, or trying to. Oh, cool. The, the only song I ended up learning was Center Sanctuary. Oh, okay. And I think the chord progression for that is C major 9, and then E minor 7, and then an E minor 9. I don't actually know the chord names I <laughs> use. Um, but probably. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, I would borrow, I do borrow chords from old songs at times. But usually by just like copying the MIDI and adjusting them. But yeah, like music theory, I do use that if I'm really stuck. It's it's useful as kind of like a like a debugging for the song. That was actually going to be one of my questions later. Oh yeah, on. Go, yeah, we can <laughs> talk about it more in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. If it's okay, I'm going to take a quick breather. Okay. Yeah. Am I? Do I have a good pacing for you? Yeah, this seems good. Cool. I actually, <laughs> I get I get nervous in interviews, so that's okay. Yeah, I don't know if that makes you feel better at all or anything. No, I'm fine. I get I I get nervous when I'm the one asking questions, and I was like, um, do you play? Do you know Hideki Kamiya, like Bayonetta and Okami, or uh... oh, I, yeah, Bayonet, yeah. He was I've giving a talk with the designer of Resident Evil on the weekend, and I would ask a question. And I was like so nervous asking the question, even though I'm like, I'm like, how many times have I been on the other side of this? And I don't know, you know. But that was kind of funny. You got a signature from that too. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> um, I don't actually know the Resident Evil guys' games that well. I haven't even played Resident Evil, but um, he's like sitting next to Kamiya, so I got a had to get it from him too, I guess. But that was funny. Wow. All right, I think I'm good. Cool. Okay. Do you go outside often to find inspiration for music? Uh, yeah. I th I I like to go. Let's see. I wouldn't say I walk with the goal of like finding musical inspiration, but 
I do think that writing a mu writing music is for me is usually like a lot of one hour long sessions with breaks in between them, and I find that you know either taking off days in between or going outside in between does help a lot. Uh, just because like it's kind of like playing a puzzle game, right? You know, if you get stuck on trying to solve it one way for too long, you just you need to break to come back to it later to figure it out. Um, that's kind of how I view kind of like going outside. So uh, I don't think it's as often that I'll be walking and be like, oh, this is a cool musical idea. Usually I have to kind of sit down and work on it first. And then once I've roughed out an idea, I can go walk outside and that'll let me kind of like unconsciously solve a bit of the song and then I can come back and finish it. I think that's interesting. You recently posted about a high high ropes level course mm -hmm. on your blog. I was wondering, did you think about how it how it was similar to a game while you were doing the course, or did you kind of notice that afterwards? Uh, I noticed. I didn't really realize how game like it would be until I got up there, and then I kind of instantly realized it was like a game, and that kind of made me more excited to keep doing it. Um, well, part of it was, it was just like kind of fun, right? Um, and yeah, so, but up to that point, I wasn't really, until I got up there, I wasn't really thinking about, oh yeah, this is like a game, <laughs> but then you're doing it and you're like, oh, okay, I see. Um, which is kind of goes back to my point about trying, I mean, that's a very like, uh, explicit case of trying something new, right? It's like a very segmented thing that is new, but I feel like that applies to just stuff in general, right? Like, if there's a museum exhibition or somebody's having a party, and you know, you have no idea what you will encounter there. I mean, you can you can try to like assume and guess and talk yourself out of doing it, but you know, you're always going to be wrong, unless it's like you know, like frying an egg or something. Like, I fried <laughs> so many eggs that. I don't really learn that much from frying them anymore, but you that's know. me with that's me with quesadillas. Quesadillas, okay, cool. What, what do you like on your quesadilla? Chicken. Chicken. Okay. Some chicken and hot sauce. That hot can sauce. go a long way. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That reminds me of like high school food. I had. <laughs> they had a lot of like hot sauce quesadillas. <laughs> or maybe at the bowling alley. I bowled a lot in high school, so. Oh, I nice. Was, like, thought, yeah. There's there's definitely a lot of game like elements in bowling. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. It, it literally is a game. So it is a game. Yeah, it's like <laughs> very. It's a very level designy sport. Did you? Yeah. Have you bowled competitively at all, or not competitively? But okay. I've I've gone bowling with family yeah. and friends. Yeah, it's a bit puzzly and like. There's a. Do you know about like the oil? Do they put that on the floor? Yeah, so like on the lane, uh, you can't see this, but there's actually like a an oil pattern. They have a machine that like lays down oil at certain like thicknesses, and that actually affects how much the ball can like spin. So for people who are competitive bowlers, their bowling balls are not weighted equally. They have like they're kind of like the center of gravity is off in some way. So. It causes the ball to kind of like hook and 
you know, depending on the oil density and where it's densest, like that affects where you need to like throw the ball. And anyways, it has a very like level designy aspect to it in a way that's very complicated and invisible. But that's something you could probably write a whole article on if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I I've been meaning to do that someday. Like it's a write about bowling is one of those bucket list things. Do you think artists should stay present when they're outside? So what I mean by that, I guess, is not wearing headphones or, you know, being on their phones. Yeah, I've... I've read a little bit about this, and by a little bit, I mean, like, one article. I didn't really check the sources, but I kind of understand... Something there was something that said there's been research done about like memory and recording. Like, and if people they were like comparing test subjects who like recorded a concert or took photos versus they didn't, and the ones who don't record they like remember more in some capacity. Um, and that that was an interesting thing to read because it's always kind of been like my intuition that that was the case. Like, so I try not to. like get stressed out about capturing something live right you know if it's important enough you know you will remember it um i think in terms of listening to music outside i've i think i'm still the type that does prefers not to listen to any music when going outside um there was a few months this year where I was doing a lot of that, and it was like fun. Uh, but it does kind of disconnect you from your surroundings a bit, and I found that I was, I was also just trying to like find the right song to listen to all the time, and it was just a waste of time. Uh, so I don't really do that anymore, and I haven't really um, for most of my life, except like high school. Uh, but yeah, I would say I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah, I mean it's like it's fun, right? It definitely is fun to like put on some music you like and just like walk along with it cuz it's more energizing. But you do definitely miss a lot of things when you're, you know, not tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing I've been doing as of recently. I think actually in doing so if you're more present, no matter if you're outside or even inside, I feel like just sitting with your thoughts, closing your eyes for even 10 minutes, you can generate so many new ideas that you mm-hmm. wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. 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 It's like taking a moment to like do nothing is so important for a lot of Maybe everything, not necessarily just only creative stuff, but like being able to like have an inner dialogue is very useful, especially for like yeah for game design and writing. I think yeah. All right, so that was the influence and inspiration segment. Now we're gonna go into the storytelling. Okay. I was wondering. How do you decide what stories to tell in your games? Uh, 
so it depends on who's leading the game. So <clears throat> I guess for the ones that I've focused most on, um, No rush, by the way. Oh yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking through this stuff. Well, well, Stephanie is the most recent point. Um, I think it's like there's certain patterns you might just observe in people over your life. Like so, there's a lot of patterns about Taiwanese Americans or people in Taiwan that I've thought about a lot, and you know, it's if it's really it's really interesting to me, and I just want to kind of communicate why that's interesting while. Framing it in a way that it's not only relevant to people who like know Taiwanese people. So, with Stephanie, it was like, you know, how do people relate to their countries or like their homes that they don't live in anymore? Uh, and how can we frame that in this really interesting psychological way? So, in trying to answer that that question, that's kind of like how the story comes about. Um, or like in. In Angeline era, right now, there's a lot of like different cultures that are kind of like coexisting in this game's world. And to write those, we're thinking a bit about you know real life cultures that are like coexisting. You know, like uh, different groups of people immigrating to other countries and kind of like the various dynamics that they will have with the country they're moving into. Um, it's kind of like one point of inspiration for it. Uh, and then a game idea that I'm kind of thinking about right now, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the dynamics of like creative communities over time. You know, what happens when kind of like fame enters the mix versus what happens when people are all just making stuff for fun and not worrying about making a living off of it. Uh, the kind of ways in which different communities can be insular. So like there's all these like different ideas that will pop up. And sometimes they feel like, oh, it's better to address it through an essay or writing. And sometimes it's like, well, this would work better for, through a story, you know, articulated through characters and stuff. Do you ever look back in history books or anything to find inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of like, I guess like academic interests. So I'm always reading a few uh, like papers or like nonfiction books, um, because and as you like read a lot more and more of these, you start to realize that like these academic books are basically somebody's personal project for like you know three to like six or more years. You know, somebody was really really into this topic for a long time, and they just wanted to kind of like tell other people about it, but in a way that's academically rigorous and can be used to do further research. And, you know, like you read these things and you learn so many things that, you know, you will, you'll never, you wouldn't find in like a thousand lifetimes unless you looked into that book. And these books have like references and citations and those link to like so many other books and topics and ideas. So, and as you read these, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why history is interesting. Um, I guess the most interesting is just to, like, see the ways in which people were kind of, like, figuring out how they wanted to live in the past. So uh, I was reading a lot about, like, um, 
various types of like older Japanese religions and the priests that would like run these religions and like you know how they would incorporate Buddhism or like local Japanese religion together and how they would make that meaningful for themselves or like how they would have to like make up a myth for their shrine to try to like attract the most kind of like followers around them. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, wow, things haven't really changed that much. Um, I mean, they have, but like, you know, there's a lot of the same anxieties. And sometimes it's really useful to just kind of see how other people were choosing to work through stuff in the past. Um, yeah. Do you ever see a lot of the same problems that you read about back then in modern times in your community? Um, I think there's, I, there's definitely some problems that still feel like they happen nowadays. They're just like, seem to be inherent to like humans, like, like deciding how to motivate yourself hmm. in life. I feel like, cause like, you know, you'll get people that are like, oh, I want to start a war because I need more resources so I can get to Mars because that's the only way my life will have meaning. And I feel like there's definitely parallels in the past. But at the same time, there's a lot of problems that are like unique to our day. Like, you know, nowadays we all, we have the huge interwebs. problems related to like, yeah, like just attention spans and the way that companies are just kind of profiting off of people wanting to by like taking advantage of them wanting to see new things. It's pretty Level funny. One, yeah. The the progress we've made in the past two decades, I feel like it's been such a big change compared to the progress we were making before. So I think because of that maybe a lot of people haven't had time to really prepare for the problems that have arised since those changes like yeah. the government and le leaders in the world yeah like as soon as there's a new like technology that comes out like there's somebody exploiting it for bad ends and then you know larger groups of people move so slow to react to it uh you know i i hope that that will slow down a bit like although as i say that you know now we have now we have the ai yeah thing polluting search engines or whatever and that's a new challenge has that affected how you make games the popularity of ai not really i mean there's not that many practical uses to ai for someone of our scale like maybe texture generation or something but it's like you know we're not like sometimes chat gpt can be useful for like brainstorming ideas in response to a vague question but like i don't know i haven't really had a legitimate use case for it yet like some people say it's useful for programming but it's just like I've asked some things and it doesn't really help. It like gives the wrong answer or something. And yeah, I, I think I think you know there could be some uses for it, but 
It's kind I of know, a, it seems a like use case are... scenario. The what? It's kind of a use case scenario too. Yeah. It's like one of those things that like people are using for bad things. Yeah. But you know, it could be used for good, but that's not really what it's being used for. Yeah. It it more depends on who's using it than the tool itself. Yeah, yeah. Alright, so that was it for the storytelling section. Now the last section of this podcast is about making music. Oh cool. And yeah, my first question is your music is described as ambient melodic. Could you describe mm-hmm. that for people who aren't familiar with the genre? Yeah, so it's a bit of a I think what it means to me is that there's a really huge focus on texture and sound palette. Um almost to the point that you know the it's just as important as like the structural concerns of the song, you know, like and what I mean by that is you know, some game soundtracks might just all be orchestral sounds, right? And I wouldn't say I would say that's not even though you can use those sounds in an ambient way, I would say that somebody composing with those instruments is not thinking as much about like um they're not as concerned as the possibilities of sound as kind of the effects, the psychological effects of using, uh, you know, violins and horns. Whereas for a lot of what I have to do in games, you know, like some, it's, it's good to write a good like hook or whatever, or like a catchy chorus or, you know, cool progress, cool overall like arrangement of the song. But you can't really just like, do that for a game, you have to be thinking about like the emotions of the area and uh, like the atmosphere and like the kind of the gameplay context for it. And getting at those things through music is for me a big part of it is just thinking about like the ambient side of things, more about like you know, these four parts of the song aren't aren't gonna be layered like perfectly together, but they do work like texturally, you know, they can contribute to like a very uh kind of like thick atmosphere or whatever you know like like the the song in anodyne 2 the blue veil song right like that has some melodic elements to it but it wasn't like i was you know scientifically deciding how it fits together you know i'm just banging a bunch of different textures that kind of work and then trying to get them in a way that has a neat like a satisfying flow to it that that might that actually makes me feel a lot better because that's kind of how I go about things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I hear music like yours and I listen to it and I'm like, how did he do that? What? <laughs> it makes me feel better that you're not, I mean, you're still really smart about it in a lot of ways, but it's not this meticulously crafted. Yeah. And I like to like say, I guess ambient melodic could also mean it's not, yeah, you know, like it's. I mean, it's. There's some ways in which it's meticulous, but it's not like. I feel like it's not as meticulous as maybe what pop writers do. You know, they spend like weeks on a song or something. Um, you know, engineering every single aspect of it. But. I feel like the ambient side of ambient 
melodic is like, you know, you're more okay with the fact that it's not going to be all perfectly in your control. You know, you're just kind of kind of just trying to like tame this thing so that it comes out in a way that works pretty well. Um, because a lot of the fun of like ambient music is just experimenting, you know, and trying different things out. Uh, you know, I mean, you can be really meticulous with making ambient music if you want to, but in, the, in my usage of it, it's more of like, you know, trying to focus more on like the intuitive aspects of it. You're not trying to just, you're not trying to engineer the most like TikTokable like pop hook, right? You know, we're here to write music, you know, and the uses of that music is, it's kind of, it's a very much like a craft in some ways. Well, partially craft and art, but, you know, there's, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How would you say mixing for video games compares to other types of music? Uh, yeah, like, I've written a few songs that were not for games. I think with games, you can be, like, well, there's still the thing in common in that, you know, mixing is still important because you you want to like make sure every part is heard in the way you expect it to be heard. Um, and so mixing is just kind of like balancing that, but you don't have to mix in such a rigorous way that it will like sound perfectly on like a dance floor system or like a car radio. Uh, and that's probably the biggest difference. I also think that yeah, yeah. Pro probably the biggest difference is that you can just you can focus on more on different things than just like making a vocal sit really well in the mix. I mean, you know, you can focus a lot more on just how do I layer a ton of different sounds into this one moment or whatever, rather than like, you know, I have to make it sound really great on a sound system. Um, yeah, that's. Probably the biggest thing, and that's also kind of why I like doing game music because you know I don't have to fuss about that stuff as much. Um, you know, I know that if you're consistent with how you make the music for the game, people will just like it, and like as they're listening to it, no one's gonna you know if it's a little bit soft, they'll just turn it up, right? Um, make it a little bit louder in the game. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of freeing, because you can experiment a lot with uh, soundtracks. I don't know if this is just my mind playing tricks on me, but I feel like when I, list, when I play a game and I listen to the soundtrack in the game, it sounds better than when I hear it on streaming. I don't know why. Uh, I think that is true. I think it's just... It's because you're kind of getting it with all the emotions that the visuals and gameplay provide. Um... So, you know, it's, it's like listening to a dance song in a club versus listening to it, like, at a McDonald's. Uh, it's going to sound better because it's working better emotionally, I think. That makes sense. What kind of sound effects are important for making atmosphere in games? Mm. And also, if you don't mind... I, I actually read that you like to use white noise, kind of, for, mm -hmm. you know, wave sounds and of the like. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I feel like any sound is can be useful in a song. Like it's, uh, but you know, certain sound effects do have certain atmospheric connotations to it. You know, like a like metallic sounds have different connotations than like bird sounds and. If you understand that, then if you're writing a song and you need it to have a certain atmosphere, then it might help to think from it from like a metallic sounds perspective. Whereas if you want a different atmosphere, it might help to start with like, you know, bird sound, not literally bird sound effects. I mean, maybe you could, but you could also start from the standpoint of like trying to design a sound that's inspired by birds and then use that for like atmosphere. Um, I think uh, a useful thing is just kind of knowing how the different kinds of percussion can add energy to a song in a way that's not necessarily noticeable is really useful because sometimes a song might be lacking a certain level of like groove or energy to it. And it's not that you need to add more notes or like better chords, but it might just be that you're missing frequencies at a certain range, which can be like percussion can help you to achieve like the energy you need. Yeah. So I, it, you know, it's a matter of just paying careful attention to songs you like, but also sound, I guess this is how real life can be an inspiration for music is just like how sound effects in real life kind of affect your emotional state. That can be a really useful reference, you know? Yeah. For me personally, when I'm out and about since I don't know why, but when I'm out and about or on, on a hike or just taking a walk, and I hear nature sounds, I feel really inspired by it for some reason. Because I think growing up, I've listened to a lot of ambient music, and a lot of mm -hmm. ambient music can often have those sounds. And it's just pretty to hear in real life, obviously. Yeah, there's something about, like, real life is just full of a lot of, like, calming compositions of sounds you know and it's always a little bit different and there, there's a rhythm to everything yeah yeah that could be really nice <laughs> what are some ways you like to write melodies melodies um i think Melodies are such like an intuitive thing to me. It's hard to say much outside of kind of like the textbook stuff, you know, like, which is like, they're, they feel like they're often there to kind of emphasize the emotional point the rest of the song is making. So sometimes they're very hard to write. It's very hard to write a melody until I have the percussion or chords laid down, or if I have the atmosphere laid down. Because if I don't have the atmosphere laid down, then it's hard to make good decisions about the melody because uh, like, you don't know what you're trying to accomplish with the melody yet. Um, and that's why you know, it's, it's helpful to sound, start from a sound design or like a chord design standpoint because those things can so heavily 
influence the bass like emotion layer of the song. Um, but you know, sometimes, and this is definitely a little bit easier if it's like a straightforwardly energetic song. Like you might be able to just start with the melody, right? And um, I don't know if I really have a, a tip to doing it. You know, it's just like you kind of just have to write thousands and thousands of melodies and you know build an intuition for what you like and what you don't like and what does work and what doesn't work um i think scales help a lot too oh oh yeah i mean like theoretically yeah you should stick to like you know stick sticking to a scale thinking about the scale you're using will help um but also break the rules if you want yeah but also uh like the instrument choice you're using could affect whether a melody seems good or not so there's like just a million variables, right? But you know, like a melody that's being voiced in like a distorted guitar might sound really bad, but it might be really good through like a like a like a chime or whatever like xylophone or clarinet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you like to find music samples? Um, I kind of just use the ones that come up Ableton, like. <laughs> Uh, I do. I have I have downloaded a, like a the general music or the GM MIDI general MIDI library. Um, there's some like uh, like Creative Commons licensed sound effects on like FreeSound, uh, like free sound effect packs that I bought um, for games or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge like oh collecting samples guy, but. Um, it is nice to have them like at hands at arm's reach. A lot of like game sound fonts. Do you use a lot of VSTs or not really? Not. Uh, well, I use a lot of stuff in like Ableton, um, like delay. Oh, it's it's whole like range of whatever there is, um, which are like their own built via, built in VSTs. I don't use a lot of external VSTs just because it's tedious to me. I don't know. It, it just doesn't fit into the UI of Ableton as well for me. And there are a few like sampler VSTs I'll use for like sound fonts. Um, but for the most part, I try to just stick to whatever Ableton has. Um, and that seems to have been good enough. Like it would be... nice to like try out other synth at some point but it, it kind of like feels like I've never really hit like I've never really hit the end of what Ableton stuff can already do um but I don't know one day maybe there's some like synths that like friends will post that look kind of cool but yeah that, yeah I think it it goes to show how powerful these DAWs really are mm -hmm. because you don't even necessarily need to look externally for any hardware or synths if you wanted to make music like that. Yeah. It's all like... It's all kind of already there. Um, you know, and it, it really is up to the person. If having different synths like helps you get into different like headspaces, then I, I would say it's worth using. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. As artists, we often tinker with the creative process. What do you do to mess with 
the tools that you use for that? Um, Wait, sorry, can I rephrase it? Yeah. So as artists, we often tinker with the creative process. Do you have any tools you use to change what your process is? I think for songs, yeah, like it helps to come at it in different ways, right? Like sometimes it helps to start with like a different, like a prompt, like try to write out the song in words at first or whatever, or try to like start by trying to capture a certain angle of the scene it's playing in in the game. Sometimes it helps to just start with like a beat. Um, and it's just it's just fun to you know start a song in different ways, so that that can be a lot more useful than just having to be like oh yeah I got to start with like laying down chords and piano you know that's like that's not always that fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun to start with drums. Even you just start with a a drum beat mm -hmm. and then maybe you go into the bass or if you feel like it the chords. There's an yeah. infinite amount of ways to do that. Yeah, like there's a friend who used to do these like experimental writing groups in Chicago and like she would always have some like different like prompt about writing. Like one of them would, would be like count to a hundred out loud while writing, which is really hard. And it's like a type of like free writing. You get a lot of weird ideas that way. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of like fun exercises like that. Like, yeah, like I used to teach game music at, in Chicago for a few years and like, there would be a lot of different exercises like would come up with, you know, like making people think about colors or like environments or something. Yeah. Do you think that writing down ideas helps? Uh... A little, I think writing down ideas, it depends. I would say it It doesn't always necessarily mean it's going to be a useful idea in the future, but it's useful insofar as that it lets you think about something else. Like, like a lot of times I'll have like two or three ideas and I'll write them down and I might not really use them, but that's okay because now my head is a little bit more clear to like think about things. Because I ha I have the tendency to kind of worry about like losing an idea, even though I know it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I mean, writing down writing stuff down can be useful, but I find that you know, even if I wasn't writing stuff down, like you do figure a lot of stuff out when you sit down and really just focus. So like, it's definitely not like life or death to write down every idea. Yeah. I agree with that. I think for me personally, it's helped a lot because sometimes I get stuck in ruts and mm -hmm. I can't necessarily think of that many ideas and it helps to be able to come back to this source. Actually, I've been writing down 10 ideas every day for the past couple, of, I think a month or two. Mm -hmm. And it's been really useful to me. It's good. Yeah, I mean... It's like it's important to like find like a process that works really well for you and like stick to it.
you know. Yeah, it's probably different for everyone. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's the end of the making music section. Now, if you want, we can talk about Angeline Era a bit. Yeah, I have a few minutes. Cool. So, like we talked about before, you're currently working on a game called Angeline Era. I think it looks really good. Thank you. I was wondering, what can players expect from playing this game? Angeline Era? Um, well, it's very... There's a very strong sense of like place and world in the game, I think, because... Uh, it's very hands-off in the progression. You know, we kind of let you just poke around. There's like a world map that lets you enter different levels, and you're free to kind of like poke around that in any order. Kind of go off on whatever tangent you want. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more focus than like an open-world game. You know, we don't really have any filler. Uh, it's still probably like a 10-hour game. Um, it's just that because you're free to kind of like go about as you please, I think that lets you just get a lot more into the headspace of being in the game rather than being like worried about like, oh, I got to collect a hundred different colors of like plants to craft. Um, so there's a strong atmosphere to that. You know, the action is a lot of fun. Uh, and drawing you through it, you know, of course, is there's a pretty interesting story about this character from the USA and he's kind of like goes to this country of era and he's like increasingly drawn in between two competing like worldviews like one represented by these like ancient fae and the others by these like futuristic angels and so it's not that he's picking a side but it's kind of like you know you get it you get to learn you don't learn about these philosophies explicitly but there's just so many characters that kind of like engage with the different sides in different ways so um that's so you kind of just get to like hear different interesting ideas and characters as you're going along. It sounds um, really unique. Yeah. It's pretty rare for an action game to kind of like be framed in this way, I guess, you know, like having story presented in such a way but also having it's kind of like level of openness without being so open in the way that a lot of games are nowadays. Yeah, so hopefully it should be refreshing. You know, there's a really strong sense of level design. Um, the art and music will be great, you know, so. Yeah. Like usual. Yes, like usual. If you don't mind me asking, what does light ecological field research mean? Does that relate to this game? Because I, I I read in an interview that you mentioned that about an an unannounced game, but that could have been a while ago. Ecological free field research. Yeah. Um. Was this about Stephanie? Oh, maybe. What well, was it about? Like we were doing it, or the game was about it? It was about you. Oh, maybe it was for Angeline era because we went to Ireland for like a week and a half last year and we were like hiking a lot and like looking around and stuff. Um, that was mostly for like, 
Well, there was a lot of historical stuff we were learning. I'm, I'm actually a quarter Irish, which is like rare and weird and surprising, right? But um, so I, I've wanted to go to Ireland for a while. Um, uh, Marina was interested in the history of Christianity there and stuff. And then we were both kind of interested in like the archaeological history and like the natural history too. So we were like getting to go see a lot of like mountains, hills, and like rocky stuff, cliffs, forests. Uh, and that was really great to, you know, see a lot of that firsthand. Um, you know, because like I said, it's it's not like we'll necessarily draw on all of that for the game, but when you do need to think of something, it's really useful to have all that experience to kind of just like draw on. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. All right, the last few questions. What platforms will it be on? Oh, um, well, Windows, Mac, and Linux, hopefully. Hopefully Linux. Um, and then at some point afterwards, the consoles. So uh, probably Switch, PS5, Xbox Series, the new Switch. Um, maybe not PS4 or Xbox One, but we'll see. Is there a release date for it yet? Uh, no. I think I think we'll be wrapping it up like late next year. But whether that releases very early 2025 or end of 2024 is like TBD. We'll just have to and see how things go. What are the different stages of developing a game like that? Uh, well, for this, there's a pretty long like tools phase like we're developing these tools to build the environments these like 3d kind of cube based levels uh there's a lot of like deciding what kind of game we even wanted to make um so we're prototyping like puzzle systems and different kinds of like action mechanics and that took a couple of months to come along and then you know you got to develop the level design philosophy you want uh there's like developing the art style which takes forever um designing like the philosophy of how do you want the levels to fit together in a world and finalizing the story and how that fits into everything. Um, and then, you know, making all the levels and the songs and stuff. So it, all, it happens in part by part very slowly, but um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated your time. I had one last question, though. Yeah, sure. Is there a demo that I could play for Angelina Era? There is publicly not, but I mean, I'm happy to send you the private demo we have if you just want to check it out. Oh, yeah, but don't share. I mean, you can. I don't care. <laughs> but I will, like, it's it's technically private. It's kind of old, but um, you know, you can get a sense for it. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'll send that along. Great. Thank you so much. Cool. And cool. Yeah, I I feel really honored to have people like you on. Oh, well, thank you. Because I'm still pretty small and mm-hmm. I'm still learning a lot about this stuff. I I'm not an expert and it just makes me really happy that people want to come on and talk. Thank you. Yeah, well like Yeah, I mean the only thing differing like experts from like people starting out is just 
doing the thing for a long time. So like you're seem to be working hard towards working on music and stuff. So, yeah. Thank you. I am. Awesome. Well, that's the end of the episode, everyone. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you you next time. Take care. Bye. Hey guys. I just want to say, first of all, thank you for listening to the episode. I'm getting better each and every episode, I think. And yeah, it's just been really fun to keep doing this. I also wanted to do a quick announcement and say I'm going to be uploading every Friday. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And I'll see you next week. Bye.